0: HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, people of color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. This
1: episode is brought to you by Barry Bisop, a refreshing West African spiced hibiscus tea. Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, career changers uh, who make up the world of food. And in this case, uh, not not specifically the world of food, although our guest today's job has a lot to do with food, which we'll get into. Uh, this is a, a, a pretty special episode. Somebody outside the industry who reached out to us and, and wanted to come on the show. And we're very excited to welcome Eric Adams, Brooklyn Borough President. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: You're quite welcome. Thank you so much. And, you know, the name of your podcast is Powerful, Why Food? And I think every day we're finding out the answer to that question, that food will determine so much about us and the quality of life we will live. And so I uh, hope we can answer that question every time we folks listen to your podcast. So let's let's start there. What
1: What's your answer to that question? Why food? Why is food important to you?
2: So many ways, uh, it, it is the cornerstone of, you know, what we, how we, I should say, how we identify ourselves. And really, it's a reflection of what we want for our future. Because if we're not eating the right things, it doesn't matter how wonderful our home is. It doesn't matter how much we obtain professionally or what type of credentials we acquire. Of the probably the most important thing that will determine the quality of our life uh, is what we eat and what we consume. It's it's about food, and I've learned that firsthand with my battle and reversal of diabetes. Tell us tell us a little bit about that uh, sort of moment
1: that you had. You were diagnosed with diabetes in 2016. Uh, and were inspired to change your life. It sounds like in a pretty significant way. What what was the light bulb moment for you? How did you realize that that food was the path to health for you?
2: Well, you know, when I woke up and I couldn't see the clock, alarm clock, I thought it was just that sleep was still in my eyes. But just to learn, um, after going to the, my internist to deal with the pain in my stomach, uh, that uh, it was diabetes, you know, after coming from doing uh, a colonoscopy, learning that I not only had an ulcer, but I was in late stages of type two diabetes that was impacting my vision, as well as permanent nerve damage to my hands and feet. And the traditional route was to just go on insulin and all the other medications that they were giving me for the various physical ailments that I was experiencing. And for whatever reason, instead of typing uh, "living with diabetes" to find out how to start adjusting my life, I typed in "reversing diabetes." And when I started reading some of the information, it was an aha moment that there's another pathway, and that pathway is led to food.
0: I I want to say I feel like you're saying you were kind of hit with something, and you made a decision to really turn your the way that you ate and approach food around what were some of the resources in your community that helped you do that because I think a lot of people want to live a healthier lifestyle they want to eat good wholesome nutritious food but just because they have that desire doesn't mean that they're successful so what was it that made you
2: successful in this and that's a, that is a great question uh, because when I was hit uh, with a level of just uncertainty and the shift in the normal life I was used to, I mean, just the thought of, hey, you're going to be blind and you're going to, your nerve damage is going to lead to potentially uh, am- amputation and you're going to have to inject yourself every morning uh, with insulin. Uh, You know, you can say, woe is me, or you can kick in gear and say, why not me? And I think those moments of when you think you're buried and you realize you're not buried, you're planted. And now it's time to ensure you have the correct harvest. You start to uh, do the right things. And you're right that oftentimes a desire to alter you know the lifestyle particularly around food the support is not in place in many neighborhoods and so what you have to do is look into the crevices of what's available on your food shelf and start identifying new habits such as uh, the first thing I did was to see instead of saying what I couldn't eat, I started to explore the overwhelming number of things that I could eat and should eat and dry beans of any local bodega, any local supermarket, no matter how they have a problem of having fresh fruits and vegetables. Trust me, they have dry beans, lentils, uh, black beans pinto beans, uh, all of these various dried beans that are inexpensive. And I went and became a master of making meals out of those beans, everything from uh, vegan vegan burgers to stews uh, to different soups. And so I really didn't look at what wasn't available. I really started to focus on, okay, what do I have? How do I turn lemon into lemonade?
1: Were you were you a cook uh, before the diagnosis, or was this something you've you've kind of discovered since then?
2: If you define cooking as making toast and burning that fifty percent of the time, then I was a chef. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you no, know, no, I was I was not a cook at all. Probably eighty percent of my meals came from some form of fast food. Uh, I used to think that. If you grilled chicken, uh, you were eating a healthy chicken, and meat was the center of my diet. And I was not a a, a cook at all. Everything was fast fast food, which is a complete reversal of where I am now. Probably 90% of what I eat, I cook it myself. Uh, But also my meals used to be built around my life. Now my life is built around my meals. It is imperative that I get the right nutrition in my body so I could correctly and effectively carry out my interactions and be there for um, my loved one and my family.
1: Was it uh, an obvious line for you to to make your newfound passion for healthy eating a part of your professional work or did that come later? How did you decide to, to fold that into your work as borough president? Well,
2: I looked at what I needed to do. Uh, prior to being an elected official, I was a police officer and I was extremely active in calling for police reform. And how do we uh, ensure safety and justice meet meet each other? And When I left policing, I thought that was going to be my legacy, but the desire of of really giving back was something that I always believed in. And once I saw I was able to reverse uh, my diabetes without medicine, I knew that I could not keep it to myself or my family. My mom was 80 years old when she went to a whole food plant-based diet, and she was able to... Uh, get off her insulin after two months. I knew there was something here and it was my desire to say, how do I use the platform of my office to now build a platform of healthy food that people can really build their families around? And that is why we have engaged in the amount of activities around healthy lifestyle and where it really partners with medicine. It,
1: it also seems like uh, you you've made food a much higher priority policy item for you than your predecessor did than, than other borough presidents have. Uh, what do you see as being the the role of local government and, and city government in food policy and particularly around telling people how to eat or what to eat, which, which can be controversial, even if it maybe shouldn't be.
2: We, we have to play a major role on the areas that we could change. And what do I mean by that? If you want to put a grill on your backyard, uh, even though it causes heart disease, high blood pressure, uh, some colon issues, that is up to you. There's not much I can do what you do in your home. But government should never use taxpayers' dollars to create crises. My schools should not be feeding, uh, particularly here in New York, 960,000 meals a day that causes the same crises that our Department of Health and Mental Hygiene uh, is supposed to be curing, childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, childhood asthma. That is a conflict. So we should not be feeding food to people on our dollar, taxpayers' dollars, that feeds the healthcare crisis. That is where we should be and what space we should be in. That wherever I feed you, we're going to give you healthy food and show you how to create healthy diets. This way, number one, we're dealing with the immediate need of giving people something to eat, but we're also dealing with the long-term need of reversing the diseases. In many cases, the foundational meals in many communities come from city services, state services, and resources, yet we're not using it as a moment of help and a moment of instruction.
1: And uh, what about food as a path to entrepreneurship, Um, whether it's a street vendor or uh, somebody opening a coffee shop or a a restaurant of some kind, um, how does that fit into your bigger food policy approach?
2: Well, I am in planning and conversations around how do we turn our city into an agrarian city. I believe that at one time, Queens, uh, the Bronx, uh, parts of Brooklyn, we were farmland and people grew food on the surfaces where we now have buildings. So we don't still have a lot of land space, but we have a lot of rooftops and warehouse spaces. And I believe that with modern technologies such as hydroponics, vertical farming, I believe we can supply our food chain and it's a win win relationship. Number one, we would start serving healthier foods in the areas that I discussed earlier, the city agencies. But number two, we can actually start addressing the food apartheid or food deserts, whichever terms we want to use, far too many communities in one of the richest cities in America don't have access to to healthy food. And then we can look at the economics that's attached to growing our own food. It is a lucrative business to deal with urban farming, everything from building out the equipment, growing the food, harvesting the food, the delivery of the food. We could keep it local. We could take trucks off our roads, that would help our environment. We could use the food waste uh, for fertilizer. So there's a real ecosystem and possibility that's in front of us as we talk about uh, how do we cycle out of coronavirus around health, around employment and around education. It's right on our plate and we just need to notice its existence. And so I think even supplying our food vendors uh, what they're selling on the street, we can produce a product here, and more healthy food can be served on our feet on our streets every day.
0: You mentioned school <laughs> and school meals, and I feel like that's such um such an important thing that I would love to just if you have any other thoughts on that and and what that policy needs to look like. Because as you mentioned, it's nearly, you know, one million students who are being fed in the city every single day. Um, so I mean what like what does that what does that look like? What would be like a best practices or an ideal policy when it comes to to public schools in New York City? And what it is that we're we're feeding our students, and what habits we are um, helping them to create when it comes to how they um, how they deal with and experience food in a healthy way.
2: We 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 you know it's amazing that education is the place of where we learn, but in actuality, we have to really unlearn to learn. We have to unlearn our relationship with food and our school system is the best place to do it because we have a captured audience of young people every day. We start with something simple as Meatless Mondays. We were able to incorporate this into our school system here. We were successful in getting the city to move away from processed meat, which is a type one carcinogen. Uh, we were able to get the city to move towards a 50% beef reduction uh, in the city. We want to get more healthy meals on the plate, but it also should be engaging. Uh, there's no reason we can't think differently about uh, even mathematics. Uh, one apple plus two pears equals X number of nutrition. You know, we can use our history level lessons to show the ge- geographic geography of where food comes from, Uh, and um, the health and possibilities around food. And it's about showing our young people uh, how to cook healthy foods, how to prepare foods, the business aspects of food. And by doing so, particularly in a borough like Brooklyn, where almost 50% of the residents speak a language other than English at home, we have learned historically that in uh, first generations, they tend to go home, children tend to go home and really help their parents incorporate into the lifestyle of the country. So this is an excellent opportunity to change not only uh, what our children are eating, but also the habits that are taking place at home. So I'm excited about what the possibilities are. We're gonna take a quick
1: break. We'll be back in two minutes, stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Berry Bisop. Bisop is a refreshing West African spiced hibiscus tea. Berry Bisop honors and preserves the traditional recipe while adding their own twist. Berry Bisop teas are fused with organic fruit. They're all natural, caffeine-free, ethically sourced, and free from artificial coloring or any other chemicals. As for taste, they're chilled and refreshing with a hint of both sweetness and tartness. Drink them alone or mix them with seltzer or cocktails. Learn more at BarryBissop.com. That's Barry, B-I-S-S-A-P.com. And we're back. We're joined this week by Borough President, Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams. Um, Borough President, I'd also like to hear a a little more of your thoughts on street vending. Uh, Street vendors have had a a complicated and contentious relationship with the city and, and with the police as well. Uh, the, the legal system around street vending sort of pushes people into a position where they have to sell illegally in one way or another. Uh, they exist in a gray area that makes them very vulnerable to, to uh, legal or uh, sort of extra legal uh, pressure from the police. Um, but street vending is, is a, a way for people to get affordable food in their neighborhoods uh, when the barriers to entry, to, to open a brick and mortar business might be too high for somebody who's new to the city and doesn't have access to a lot of economic resources to do that. Um, is, do you have a vision for street vending in Brooklyn or in New York City that's different from the way that it's currently uh, implemented? And and what, what might that be?
2: And it's so important for us to do several things when we talk about street vendors, because you, you're right, uh, hardwired into the foundation of New York City in America uh, is the system of being able to sell your goods on streets. Uh, That is so important. And it it has always led to an excellent, excellent opportunity for someone to eventually get a brick and mortar business or even now going to do an online business. And we should not take those opportunities away from everyday people. But when it comes down to food, food is different than clothing or other items. We have to be extremely careful with foods, fruits and vegetables. You could treat differently. Uh, I think we should have a very lax policy to allow people to sell those oranges, those apples, those pears, uh, because they are different foods. Where you where we run into complexities is when we deal with uh, cooked food. You, we have to be extremely careful in a multicultural. Environment like New York, you have to have standards that ensure that the food is cooked, uh, is reaching certain uh, health requirements. The level of how it's cold, how it's heated, how it's kept preserved, so that germs won't be there. As we, as you know, we're dealing with a pandemic now, uh, but we could also deal with other uh, food-related diseases if we're not careful. And so I think we need to have a extremely more lax approach to food vendors uh, when it comes down to those fresh foods, foods such as fruits and vegetables, be extremely more lax when it comes down to wearable items. But when it comes down to cooked food, we need to be extremely careful that it is handled, handled in the right way.
1: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. Um, I was also interested, uh, Brooklyn obviously has become an icon for gentrification uh, nationally or even globally. And, and one of the first steps towards gentrification is often, you know, the, the hipster coffee shop, the, the kind of restaurant that might not have existed in the old neighborhood, but is part of a new demographic that's moving in. Um, how do you see those two, those two uh, situations existing side by side, gentrification, people being pushed out of their homes, um, and, and that new coffee shop that often is, you know, can also be a, an element of economic revival in a neighborhood that, that is struggling?
2: And I think I think what you said is very important because people being pushed out of their homes, people naturally transitioning in a community is not something that's bad. It's when you displace and push people out of their homes is when it becomes a problem. And that is what we we have witnessed from some landlords uh, that attempt to forcefully move people from their communities because they think they can get a better price for the rental units that is what we need to fight against that is my definition of gentrification anytime you have a term you always have to ask a person how do they define gentrification and i define it uh, the illegal uh displacement and intentional removal of long-term residents from a community opening a coffee shop that opens with the energy of being part of a community and welcoming. Uh, I think those are part of those actions are part of the natural evolution of communities. New locations open all the time. I think they're welcoming. It allows us to continue to explore the diversity of tastes, sounds, flavors, ideas. Uh, But it should never be at the cost of forcefully removing people from their communities. And throughout the years, we have witnessed landlords who are overzealous and acting in that manner. A lot of our listeners are either early stage or aspiring
1: entrepreneurs who are thinking about opening their own food businesses. So what advice or what recommendations would you give to somebody who maybe is a fairly new arrival to the city or a new resident of their neighborhood who's thinking about opening that kind of coffee shop or that kind of restaurant that might feel different from from the way the neighborhood has felt historically that might not be aimed at the people who have lived in that neighborhood for a long time. Uh, how can they involve the community in, in opening that
2: kind of business? Great question. Uh, hire locally, if you're doing hire, hire locally in the community. Uh, Engage, be part of the community board, the precinct council, uh, the block association, the local bid, uh, host different events to with people in the community, uh, stop by the church, meet the local pastors, uh, the local uh, elected leadership, the PTAs, even if you have children or not. Uh, as I stated, you could be on the community board and you could be a member of a committee. You don't have to be appointed to that community, community board and just really learn the cultural norms of the community and be part of those cultural norms. Oftentimes, uh, people will open a business and they want to separate their clientele from the overall energy of that community, and that's the wrong way to do it. You want to really be part of the fusion that that is taking place in Brooklyn, and many of our new establishments they have done an amazing job in doing so. Uh, and they are inviting to all of the residents in the community. And you'll find that people enjoy doing something new, something different. We need to continue to be encouraging in that place. Thank you. Uh, Valerie, should we do some rapid fire?
0: Uh, I, yes. Favorite, favorite, uh, I would, I wanted to say favorite restaurant in Brooklyn. Do you eat out in Brooklyn? <laughs> <laughs> Or is it home cooked everything right now?
2: No, no, everything is not is not home cooked. <laughs> so, what's
0: your what's your favorite place when you are enjoying a meal outside of your home?
2: One of my favorite locations is Modern Love. I enjoy it.
0: And what kind of food is that for?
2: It's a vegan uh, clientele, they have vegan food, it's a vegan restaurant, and they're extremely creative on how they try different meals that really will satisfy your palate.
0: Okay, might have to check that out, that sounds good. <laughs> uh,
2: when, you're, when you're cooking at home, what's the,
1: what's the kitchen tool that you can't live without? What's the, the tool that you reach for most often?
2: Uh, a good sharp knife. I hate a dull knife. <laughs> you know, I love a good sharp knife that I can chop up some good food. And if I'm allowed another one, it would be my neutral bullet. What kind of smoothies do you make? Every morning I break my fast with a green smoothie made out of spinach, kale, blueberries, and about five different superfood powders. Sounds good. Wow. I'm coming over for breakfast.
0: Wow. <laughs> that sounds so good, but you know the knife answer. That's a very chefy answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably the <laughs> most common answer we get to that question. So you're in good <laughs> company.
0: Very chefy. Um, what is your favorite summer vegetable? Because we know you're getting all your veggies in. It sounds like uh,
2: uh, uh, probably I would say probably, and it's probably all year round actually. A uh, bok choy. I love the the way it cooks well and it steams well, I would probably say buck choy.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Do you have a, a preferred style of preparing
2: it? I love putting it in my Ninja, chopping it up with onions and probably an avoc- a half an avocado, uh, peppers, and just throw everything in the Ninja and have it mixed together and then put it over a bowl full of uh, lentil nude no- red noodles, and it's just something that I live for—an easy, fast meal, but extremely nutritional, and just ex- excellent taste. When you put a, you know, a group of spices, a little nutritional yeast, some uh, pepper, cayenne pepper, some garlic, and it's just a great meal, go-to meal. That sounds good. No cool.
0: You're eating well because you just made me hungry.
1: (laughs) I also, I have to ask you, since you mentioned spices, I I have a spice company, so I got to ask, what's your favorite spice?
2: Uh, uh, Several. And it's interesting that I don't know if people are aware that spices are often more healthy than the meals that you are eating. Spices have a lot of healing power to them. Uh, I love turmeric, nutritional yeast. A good uh, cayenne pepper, uh, cinnamon, and probably cumin. I, I throw a, a, just a lot of spices on my food to get the mixture of tastes. Of tastes, but uh, I enjoy all types of spices. I love it.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much um, for being our guest today. Where um, where can our audience find you on social media? Where can they
2: keep up with what's is this going on? BK Burrow Hall on social media. BK Burrow Hall.
0: Awesome.
2: And uh, thanks
1: to our awesome sound engineer, Jess Krenjic. Thanks to the Red Crickets for our theme song, which is Blind. Uh, you can reach me via my spice company at Burlap and Barrel on social media.
0: Uh, and you can find me on social at foodie in New York.
1: And as always, you can email us at whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org or contact us on social at why food podcast. And most of all, Borough President, thank you so much for joining us. Any parting words to leave with our, our listeners?
2: Uh, the, uh, why food? Because food heals. Food bring us together. Food has a way of getting in contact with not only what we do externally. Uh, but what what we do internally. And that's why I believe food should be at the center of our lives.
1: Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you all next week. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. Why Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.